and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. Today we are going to be talking about purgatory and how we can... Um, live out our purgatory here on earth and how some of the saints have talked about this. Since we're going to be talking about purgatory today, we thought it would be important to talk a little bit about what purgatory is. And if we're looking at the Catechism of the Catholic Church um, at 1030, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they must undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent, the tradition of the church by reference to certain texts of scripture speaks of cleansing fire. So one of the ways I always taught my first graders about purgatory is that we can't enter heaven with stains on our soul. And it's the place that the stains are removed. If we really want to break it down very simply. Mm-hmm. Like we need to have have a soul. We had to have immaculate souls like Mary to enter heaven. Mm -hmm. And so purgatory is the place where we get to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I will say too, like I think saying that it's a place gives like a good imagery, but because it's it's immaterial, because it's immaterial, it's more of a state of being. You are in a state of purgation. And actually uh, John Paul II talks about that. That's not necessarily, it's not, a location that right. is a state of being. Mm-hmm. We we have we think of it in these terms because this is what we relate to. Yeah. We're on yeah. a time space continuum. Play, mm-hmm. Things are where they are in a location. Mm-hmm. That's not how it is. Yeah. In the heavenly places, it's different. Yeah. And we don't understand that. We don't have the ability to understand it, or we try to manipulate and control mm-hmm. it. And we are able to pray for those souls in purgatories to lessen their time there and help the purification process go faster. But then at the same time, which I always kind of thought funny because again, it's time and space Mm -hmm. don't work the same for God as they do for us. Mm -hmm. But we just, but you know, we can understand the whole, we help those stains. It's it's like where our prayers are the stain remover that just help get the stains out a little bit easier. And speaking of like purgatory on earth, that's one way that we can help each other here on earth. Praying pray for, for one another other. because that's one of the things I've, I've talked to my kids about. Uh, something that I learned was that when we pray, like we pray to become closer to God, right, and grow in relationship with Him, He gets we, we reveal ourselves to Him, and He can reveal Himself um, more deeply to us. But then it's also to be a part of His miracles. When we pray, mm-hmm. it's not to change God or what He's going to do; He's already going to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's to change us in that way, and then to be a part of a miracle in somebody else's life. There was, there was recently we had a little girl over at her house and she was very mean to my daughter. It broke my heart for her. And she was so, my daughter was so angry with this little girl. And so I had a conversation with her and I told her, do you want that little girl to be nice to you the next time you see her? Um, do you want, do you want her to be nice just in general and to you? She said, yes. Okay. Do you want her to know God and maybe even become a part of his family one day? She said, yes. I said, okay, you can be a part of that. Mm-hmm. You start praying for her. When you feel mm-hmm. those angry feelings come up and you have to forgive her again, ask God to bless her. And you can be a part of that miracle in her life because God's going to allow you to do that. He's going he's gonna to let you enter into that miracle. And how beautiful is that? I think about St. Monica and how she continuously prayed for her son, um, Augustine. And then he eventually became a saint himself. And I, here he was totally pagan, totally yeah. going out to the all the wrong places. But her, her persistence in prayer o- helped open up his soul 
to listening to God, and now he's one of the doctors of the church. And so um, I think that's a good point, that even praying for each other here on earth helps us get closer to God and helps that purification process, expedite that purification process. Mm -hmm. This has been a topic that has really been coming up a lot for me recently. But it's something that I've been striving to do recently is living out my purgatory here on earth. Um, I think it probably started back. It's been a while. It's probably been a year or more that I've been asking God specifically to humble me, uh, to give me humility. And since I've been, I've done that. He has, Lauren, I think specifically has talked about how God likes to, you know, just chip away very gently and very sweetly at your heart. And he can definitely do that. And he has done that for me. But over the last um, year, maybe a little bit more, he's like got a shovel and he's just like digging and digging and like, you know, like cracking the concrete. And so um, I don't know how much he's actually gotten up, but <laughs> he's trying. And um, and I guess I bring up humility because um, in my experience, I've been learning that in order to live out my purgatory here on earth, um, I have to be humble. I have to humble myself. And it's the foundation for all the other virtues. And I think we have to be, we have to have humility in order to live our purgatory here on earth. Because I think humility is required in order to allow God to work in the difficult moments of our lives. Where, you know, because we're, we've talked about this maybe before, that like you're, you're always going to experience suffering in this life. Um, it's unavoidable, but the, the point is to, rather than just living out the suffering and just suffering for suffering's sake, living it for like suffering for a purpose and God can transform that suffering and redeem that suffering and make it beautiful. And it, um, not only brings beauty, I think, to your life to live your purgatory here on earth, as scary as it does sound, um, it makes it incredibly, unbelievably beautiful. Um, and it also get you closer to God rather than waiting until, you know, maybe settling for purgatory after earth and then settling for that and still like dying and still having some kind of a separation from God before you actually get to him. Like I've, I, I used to settle and I used to say, you know, I, well, I want to get to heaven, but I'm probably going to go to purgatory. And I was okay with that, (laughs) but you know, viewing God as more, important than that that he is the mean your means and he is your end Mm -hmm. and um really striving for that to be as close to him as possible now so you know i'm listening to you talk about this and i'm also while i'm also looking over some of these quotes from sister lucia fatima Mm -hmm. um she was talking about how since purgatory was shown to her and the other children what you know, she gets a lot of questions. She got a lot of questions about it. And she talks about, you know, how purgatory, the word, even the word means purification. And um, our stay in purgatory can be more or less extended depending on the number of our sins and faults and imperfections and the gravity of each of those. And, um, but she goes on, and I thought this was really interesting, to talk about how a lot of times people write about purgatory as this fire, almost like the fire of hell that is purifying us. And um, I'm going to read a little bit of this. And it says, as for me, it seems to me what purifies us is love, the fire of divine love, which is communicated by God to the souls in proportion as every soul corresponds. And I think that when we really get down to this living our purgatory here on earth is that we are acknowledging that God loves us and trying to live out our lives in in that relationship of love with him and trying to get closer to him like you were talking about. And um, I don't know, I really liked her description because when we we talk about God's love and the fire of the Holy Spirit, and and it's, it's not the same type of fire as the fires of hell. Though there is still suffering, it's a suffering in love instead of torment. It's a it's a point that I haven't heard before, and I really like her description of that. Not that anybody wants to be in fires being purified, because that's, that's 
but purgatory, you know, mm -hmm. we do know that souls suffer in purgatory to, in preparation for their journey into heaven. Mm -hmm. But so I don't want to like downplay it, but it's a different type of pure, it's, you know, it's a different type of fire. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they would be considered both fire because it does hurt. Like mm -hmm. the fires yes. of hell hurt eternally and they are rooted in pride and all of the vices and just, you know, the sin. But then in purgatory, it's, you know, pain that's rooted in love, which sounds very odd, but it, it hurts to be purified. It really does. To live out your life, your, your purgatory here on earth hurts because there's that chipping away of that pride. You know, the, mm -hmm. the opposite of humility is pride. And it really does. It hurts very badly to, um, to see your sins, like especially when you're asking God to live out your purgatory. You're asking God for humility, for him to show you directly, you know, because you've opened yourself up to it. Like, here is your sin. Here is your pride. These things that you thought you were justified in, you're not. Mm -hmm. And some of those things can be so deeply rooted inside of you. It's like, it's almost like taking, it feels like it's taking away from who you are. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, innately. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's it's more, it's taking away from the fall, though. Mm -hmm. It's not who you're meant to be. It's not who mm -hmm. God made you to be. He's taking away what the fall created in you. When you think about a refiner's fire, you know, um, you put metal in a fire. The fire reveals what's there, but it also improves it. Mm -hmm. It makes it stronger. Um, it take, you know, it's when we think about what God is trying to do, in our lives, in terms of living out our purgatory, it's it is always to continue that flow of love between us and Him. It is always to sharpen it. And all a lot of the saints talk about. We tend to think in a linear view, you know, like heaven is then, uh -huh. heaven is after, heaven is in a line and at this timeline of things that happen. The saints and especially the mystics don't really see it that way. Heaven is right now. And, and what we do right now, we can experience even a tiny fraction of that beatific vision in our union with God, even here on earth. And even this, the, the Apostle Paul talks about this, these heavenly places which are all around us all the time. We, and, you know, um, Audrey and Von Speyer said that you get, at any point in this, you can dip your finger into the water and the, the conversation of heaven is right there next to you, whispering all about you. But you just have to to know what's happening. So when we talk about purgatory refining us for heaven someday, it's actually refining us for right now to achieve that union of God so that when we, with God, so that when we die, we can run to him with open arms and there's no delay. And mm -hmm. when you, when you frame it like that, when it's not just something to, to live my purgatory now isn't just something that's going to shorten my time after I die. It's going to shorten the intensity and the, the, the awfulness of the suffering now, too, because then you have the sweetness mm -hmm. of the spirit to, to mix in with it and to blunt it and to make mm -hmm. it sweet. And even some saints, as they advance in the spiritual life, begin to desire suffering because they understand this. The suffering is the gateway to union with Christ. Mm -hmm. And since we all suffer, like you're saying, mm -hmm. how we approach it will decide for us how if it advances us or draws us back. And in the spiritual life, we know there is no standing still. You're mm -hmm. either moving forward or you're going backwards. Mm -hmm. But I think living your purgatory here on earth is not only about getting closer to God. Of course it is. But also loving others more deeply because yes. that is what Christ commands of us. I mean, he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind. mind. And all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And so I haven't been experiencing this in my life in a very profound way in loving the people closest to me, closest to me more deeply. Um, like specifically my husband, just within the last year, just learning how it is like the way that he needs to be loved. I'm very, and I think this is for a lot of us, like, I want to show my love for somebody in a very specific way. Mm. And when that's not received well or it's rejected, I feel like I am rejected. But I've kind of, we've learned a little bit about like love languages mm -hmm. and stuff and how you, how you receive love and how you give it. And 
and all of that. So that definitely helped that practical aspect of it. And then, um, yeah, like talking about humility, just learning how to, even, even with my greatest intentions, that sometimes I need to back off mm-hmm. that even though I might feel justified in what I'm doing or I might, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, like I said, I have good intentions. Like I, I want to love you in this way. Um, there are times that, you know, if that, if he or anybody else in my life, they don't want that from me, they don't need that. They need something else than learning how to step back and, and deny myself in that way. Mm. That's one of the things that I've been learning how to do with to love my spouse more fully and more deeply um, the way that he needs rather than making it about myself. Mm-hmm. And that was something like talking about how Huge painful revelation. it is. <laughs> yeah. Talking about how painful it is, but at the same time, like that sweetness that you're talking about it, at first I kicked and I threw my hands around and I threw my fit and I said, God, this isn't fair. I want to love him in this specific way. And I have good intentions and I don't understand, you know, like why I can't do it this way. But then some of it was like slowly revealed and other things, you know, other aspects of this. He just kind of whacked me in the face and was like, stop it. But like as much as it hurt, it did as I, as I let go and I was like, God, okay, you know what, you know better than I do. Um, I'm going to step back and I'm going to do this that you're telling me to do as much as it hurts me to do so. It became sweet. The moment I did that, like the moment I stepped back he brought this beauty and this love into it because, you know, I'm not, I was, I was loving him, pardon me. I was loving him more authentically. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like, I guess, like I said, it wasn't, was it, just, it wasn't about me anymore. And that, that thing that made it hurt before when it wasn't about me didn't hurt so much anymore because I started seeing that love, like I was motivated by love and not by selfishness, not mm-hmm. by interior thinking. And again, like, you know, like I, I look back and it's like, there was this very thin line, I think that was there because I was, you know, I, the way that I wanted to, to show my love was, it was motivated by love. Like mm-hmm. I was really wanting to love him in this way, but it was still so selfish. And I didn't see that at the time. And so that's one of the ways for me that um, has been, like you said, a big revelation for me over the last several months, years, that uh, like slowly learning how to do that and breaking through that, that. I think you hit on something that's super profound when you talked about how this purgatorial aspect of the spiritual life is very deeply wound up in the way we love others and in our relationships with others. I think that's so true. I know in my own life, those chipping away moments have always been in relationship to my relating with other people and and the imperfect love that I was handing someone, calling it perfect love or calling it the right kind of love. And God was saying, this is not how I want you to do that. I need you to do it this way. Or this is what this person needs. And it occurred to me one day, that this phrase just entered into my head. It was your love, your ability to love this person has nothing to do with how they respond to you or who they are, or if they respond to you at all when you're loving them. I want you to love them for their sake the way that I do, just for their sake, which means nothing they do or anything they say or any way that they respond matters at all Mm -hmm. if you pour your love on them the way it's supposed to be done, you won't be stung because it was for them and not for you. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard to accept because it's like you want that affirmation from the other right. person that like, well, oh, look, you did something good. That if I throw this at you and you don't respond, then the channel's closed mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get what I need. And that's what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. We examine our hearts. When we're sending love forward towards somebody and it isn't sent back, that creates a sort of, stop in the flow for us and I think what God is trying to show us is that that doesn't have to be there that when it comes from him that is a continual just a line and for in my life that's so true what you're saying like it is really about humility mm-hmm. and and just saying I it doesn't matter if you're mad at me when I say this to you or it doesn't matter if you don't like it 
or it doesn't matter what I want or how you respond to me. I can still love you mm-hmm. with the perfect love of God if I let him love you through me mm-hmm. without needing anything back from you in return. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when purgatory becomes love mm-hmm. and not fear. And then anything is easy. You know? well, I love listening to both of you talk about this because I'm reading this um, thing right here about it talks about purgatory is best seen as um, a waiting room for heaven where souls are truly holy and are in love with God and embrace their final cleansing with profound gratitude as they prepare for communion with the blessed Trinity. And so like you guys are talking about like the suffering where we can be selfish about how we want it to turn out or selfish about you know things aren't going the way we think they should go but then also this humbling of letting that those feelings go and joyful you know like okay it's not turning out the way i want but it, it is what it is and there's just this whole like if souls that are in purgatory know that they're going to be suffering but they embrace it they like they go hey this is just my next stopping point. You know, this is a stopping point on into heaven, and I'm so happy to be here. And so I think that that's kind of interesting that you guys are talking about, like, this letting go of these, you know. Certainly a release. And yes. I think that's part of the humility that's just so intricately woven with this mm-hmm. is that realizing, mm-hmm. holy moly, <laughs> like, you're trying to do something here, and I'm really getting in your way. Yeah, you know? and that, like... Like we talked about how humility is kind of like the foundation um, for all of the, the virtues. So if you don't have that humility, you can't grow in relationship with God because mm-hmm. those virtues require that humility in order to grow in them. Mm-hmm. And so um, that makes me think of St. John Vianney's quote where he said, Humility is to the various virtues, but the chain is in a rosary. Take away the chain and the beads are scattered. Remove humility and all virtues vanish. So I think about the practical aspect of this. Okay, what if our listeners are saying, okay, fine, I get what you guys are saying. I need to embrace these sufferings. I need to see this as the opportunity to grow in love toward God, to a more perfect love towards God and towards the people I'm in the house with, towards my fellow coworkers, toward everyone around me and my family. Mm-hmm. This is what suffering does for us. It's the opportunity a believer has to use this to grow closer to God, to use it to benefit others. I get all that. I get what you're saying. But how do I do this in the middle of serious emotional pain? Mm -hmm. Serious and constant emotional pain, financial stress, uh, name it. Everyone sitting at this table in the last two months has undergone all of the above times a trillion. We're all feeling, we're all kind of banded survivors sitting here tonight talking to you as we are all coming either out of or walking into some of the most difficult seasons of our lives. So when we sit here and say this to you, it's because we're doing it or we just did it. <laughs> um, how do we do this? What are the practical ways that we do this? And I know Alicia wanted to talk some about what that has looked like in your life. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like a practically like what it is that I do when I start going through something that's really difficult, something that I'm struggling with, I'm angry about, I'm sad about, I feel maybe guilty about um, noticing, trying to notice when I am focusing on myself and going, oh, well, I didn't even talk to God about this yet. Um, I didn't ask him for his help in this. I didn't pray to him. I didn't, you know, ask for his, uh, uh, you know, join my suffering with his cross. Um, and when I do that, it is a practical, and I realize that this is, you know, this is praying. It seems, I guess that's what I do is that I, I try to become aware of when I'm being very self-involved in that moment, as justified as that might seem in the moment, to mm-hmm. be thinking about myself and how much I'm suffering and how this sad, sad this is for me. And then looking outward at God and saying, God, like, I give this to you. Like, actually, literally saying it. I think when people hear, like, you know, people say offering it up to God, just offer it up to God. It's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, right. We should have a whole episode on what that actually means. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, actually just literally saying, for me, it's been just literally saying, God, I give this to you. Mm-hmm. Like, handing it over to him, literally saying, God, I give this to you. I'm really upset about this. I'm really sad. I don't understand. I'm struggling with this, this thing that I'm going through. You know, redeem it. Redeem me. You know, make this 
make make me into the person that you created me to be and make this situation beautiful for the people around me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also not, not just looking to God, but looking to the other people who are in there, in, in the situation with you. And um, for, for me recently, the most recent um, experience that I've had with this is that I recently went through um, a second miscarriage. Um, I found out at about 11 and a half weeks that I miscarried and the doctor said that the baby died at the beginning of the, she thinks at the beginning of the 10th week. And, um, you know, obviously I was very, very upset about it, you know, bawled my eyes out, very sad about it. Um, from the beginning, didn't really feel the need to know why or understand or anything like that. Like I went through that with the first miscarriage and Mm -hmm. was angry with God and, you know, walked away for like three hours and then came back begrudgingly and um, and all of that. It's a long three hours. Yeah, it was, it was very much so. But, um, like, since then, God has shown me. He's He's been so gracious to me and that he's, like, proved his love for me, even though he doesn't have to. He's God, and I'm a mere creature, but he proved it to me. And um, and so, like, I know who he is. I know he's good. I found out on a Wednesday that I miscarried, woke up Wednesday morning and delivered the baby. And then... A couple of hours later, my husband went into surgery. And during that time, um, I started bleeding like way heavier than I thought I should. And it scared me. And um, I talked to my husband, and it was kind of like an outpatient surgery. They, you know, worked it out so that he'd be able to be in the room with me after he got done. And so at the same time, I'm in the emergency room for heavy bleeding after a miscarriage and he's getting surgery. <laughs> and so the doctors yeah. and the nurses were amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I really, I need to send a fruit basket or something to my doctor. because She was beyond wonderful. But, um, you know, this was, it was one of the most difficult days of my life. And I think of our lives, it was in, insanely difficult. And I did a whole lot of crying, but as I was sitting there, um, I was remembering how, you know, you know, bring God into this, you know, don't look inward, look outward, like look at God. And so I started reaching for him and I was like, God, like, you know, I need you in this, like come to me in this, like, you know, this is a insanely difficult time that we're going through. And so like, please be here with me. But it became exhausting after a while because like, I almost felt like I was physically reaching for him. Like, he was mm-hmm. distant from me, and I needed him to come to me. And so I kind of gave up on asking him to come because I was so exhausted from doing so. Like, in, in, in within that, like, as I was doing that, I was feeling these consolations. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling, you know, peaceful, and I was feeling, like, these joyous things. But it almost felt forced because I was reaching so much. And so I stopped, and I remembered hearing people talk about how um, how just asking God to enter in to the suffering, joining your suffering and laying it down at the foot of the cross. And so doing that, I, uh, I spoke to God. I told him, God, come to me in this, be with me in this. And I lay this down at, at your at your feet, and I enjoyed my suffering to yours. And it wasn't a reaching anymore. It was, I think, a realization that, like, he was actually there. As much as I was, I didn't notice it because I was so wrapped up in the grief, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I had that peace and that I didn't, I wasn't angry with God. But I still felt there was this distance, and I didn't know something that I maybe didn't realize at the time because I, you know, and it came out because I was reaching for him. But again, I think it's because I was looking interiorly so much. And so once I started that, like started doing that, it was almost instant that I, there was this peace that came over me that was so much, so much sweeter and more gentle than it was before. And at one point I felt myself like smiling. I couldn't help but smile. My husband kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, what are you, why are you smiling? Because I was contracting. Like, it was every time they gave me some medicine yeah. to, to help the process and um, to make it make me contract more so it was hurting a bit more. And um, every time, like, I would – I had some visitors and stuff, and they were talking to me too. It was actually very sweet. My mom was there, 
And every time I would contract, she would start talking about just like random stuff because she could see me like breathing deeply and stuff. <laughs> and it was just so sweet because I realized where I get my talking from. Like when somebody's in a difficult situation, I just want to talk and talk and talk until that person feels better. That's one of those ways that I was saying that I want to help people mm-hmm. is by just talking their ear off. Well, it doesn't work. <laughs> and so I realized where I got it from. I was like, ah, oh, mommy. But uh, she was being, she was just trying to help. She was, and she was, you know, had all the best intentions. And I appreciated so much that she came up there for for us. And um, but anyways, it was during those times I would contract and I would say this, and I, I don't know, it was just it was so lovely, and um, there was this sweetness to it, and there was, I felt so grateful for it, and all of a sudden the suffering was beautiful. Like it wasn't just, and this has happened a couple of times in my life, um, where I don't really know how to describe it other than that, just saying that like not just the constellations were beautiful, but like the suffering right now is beautiful mm-hmm. because God is inside of it, because mm-hmm. I can see the the workings of it. And I remember my mom, she was leaving and she leaned in and she gave me a hug. And I can't remember exactly what she said. She said she would pray for me to maybe not be angry about this. It's like, I'm not angry. She was like, oh, okay, well, I'll pray for you to, you know, for understanding. I was like, I don't need to understand. And she was like, well, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I can't remember what she said, but she got kind of flustered. Like she didn't know how to take that. (laughs) But it was just, it was just beautiful. It felt like it was within that. There were several miracles that happened. And those were, I think, two of them or some of them that were just, I didn't need to understand. And when I finally let go and I stopped looking at myself and I looked to God and I realized that he was actually there the entire time, I just couldn't see him because Mm -hmm. I was so wrapped up in what was going on with me. And he just, he made it so incredibly beautiful. So yeah, I think that that's just what it's led to for me. There have been times um, in trying and starting to ask for humility and realizing like, oh, this is living out my purgatory here on earth. There have been times when I'm like, I don't know that I want to do this anymore because it hurts so darn bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about the pain and everything. And if, it, if it's people who are listening have never even considered or heard about the possibility of living out your purgatory here on earth, like it can seem scary, right? Because it hurts. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, like one thing that I can say as kind of an encouragement or maybe a comfort in that fear is that it is a process for certain but it leads to some of the most beautiful things where like the, like I said, the suffering can become sweet. The suffering that I've had in loving my spouse more perfectly, there were times where it hurt like mm-hmm. a son of a gun. But realizing in that moment of pain, looking to God and realizing in that moment of pain that I was loving him more deeply, the way that God wanted me to love him, not the way that I wanted to love him. I felt so much joy in that suffering. I was so glad I was suffering in that way. I was so happy about it. Like I was giddy almost. (laughs) And so it really can be unbelievably beautiful if you allow it to be, if you allow God to keep on working. And I'm not perfect in this by any means. And there have been so many things that I still stop my feet in. My kids, you know, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult (laughs) being a stay-at-home mom all day long. And, um, you know, dealing with four other people with different personalities and all wanting different things and whatnot. And then me being so selfish and wanting things my way. And so there's definitely times I still stop my feet and stuff. Again, trying to live out that purgatory and allow God to change me. There's a beautiful prayer that I, uh, I learned from the Good News Ministries. I did a consecration to the Holy Spirit. And every day that we did it, there was a prayer that said, Come Holy Spirit, fill me. Come Holy Spirit, renew me. Come Holy Spirit, enlighten me. Come Holy Spirit, you have my permission to change me. And every morning that I remember to, I, and I actually can have time to sit down, I will pray that prayer. And I think that, again, like that's one thing I didn't realize necessarily maybe when I first started praying that, that that was asking for purgatory here on earth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, you, you, won't, you won't regret it, I think. Well, as St. Catherine of Gianna says, the purifying fires draw them ever upward and closer to God. Yeah. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's here or there. I think in those times of suffering too, those of you in our in those in our leadership who have been through things like that and have experienced the consolation of God in the middle of it or have figured out 
to draw nearer to God in the middle of that as a means of purification, as a means of drawing, to building their union with him. The way that God moves in your soul during those times when you will ask him to, like what you're saying, is eternal. And you, you'll always remember that. And if you can think back to all these times when he did things like that while you were suffering, you still remember that and your soul is still changed to this day because of what God did in the midst of that deep suffering. And I think that's the secret is that every single time you are at your wit's end with whatever it is and you cry out to him because of the void in you, the pain, it's a void. He comes to fill that void and that moves your soul and changes your soul. It changes the landscape of your interior. I know that that's been the case for me. I always, in those moments where it was, God, you've got to come. You've got to rescue me. I'm, I'm flailing. I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm losing my mind. I don't know who I am anymore. When he comes in that pain, he doesn't just come. He stays in a different way inside your soul. And then everything shifts and there's these canyons that form. And then grace comes in through those, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. that's why God says, offer it up. That's why the saints tell us, ask for your purgatory, ask for your suffering, because it completely changes the way you even see the world when he sub- enters into your suffering. Mm-hmm. I know that in the past, and this is why, why I'm bringing this up, is because this past season of trial that our family was in, I feel like I was a terrible sufferer. I mean, I really was just anxious the whole time. And I know better. (laughs) So it took me to the limit of who I was. This wasn't my first rodeo suffering, but I sure acted like it was. Boy, it really took me to the absolute brink of what I was capable of handling. And I'm saying that in the sound of everyone who's listening. So you can hear that I was literally not okay for for a little while and it, it felt like it had pushed me beyond what I could even physically or emotionally handle and the weird thing is that I in those moments when I was suffering to, so terribly and I told my husband I feel like a terrible example you know here I am you know in formation in a third order getting ready to make my final promises speaking about suffering and here I am I'm suffering so terribly as an example to you guys, I feel terrible about it. I feel like I'm not showing you how to do this. I should know how to do this. And again, God chips away at that sense of self, you know, and that humility. And my husband said, why do you think you're supposed to be able to do this? He's like, that's the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> like, he said, you're not supposed to be able to do this. This is hard. Nobody can do this without God. And that was the end of it. Like, that's when I finally, I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. See, I knew that. But but this is how dense you get, you know, we're such hobbity humans. We just can't, our memories are not good. But this time, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it. At least that's the problem is, and there's certain, this is where I wanted to say about that practical aspect of it. What do you, how do you live this out when there's constant fear and Mm -hmm. panic and pain raining down on you? Mm -hmm. How with like every breath comes more fear and then you exhale and there's more fear and it's, it's literally, uh, you know, time to go to counseling, you know, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, but it's like you said, there is the only way to do it is to do it. Mm-hmm. The only way is to feel the feeling and exhale the ask for help. Come to me, come to me, mm-hmm. rescue me, help me. That's all I could say. There were days where that's all I could say was rescue mm-hmm. me. Because the thoughts would pile one on top of each other before I could even think about praying. And it felt like like I, like I, my soul was praying, but there was no words. You know, it was just in this in constant, God help me, God help me, God help me. You know, and I don't know why when I look at the circumstance outside of it, now that we're kind of away from it a little bit, I don't know why this was such a torture for me. Like, because it's really not that bad compared to a lot of people's circumstances, people in this room. Um, But it's just what happened inside of me was a dark place I had never been to before. 
And it just changed everything. It became a landscape that I had never traversed. And so practically speaking, literally it's when those big feelings overwhelm you, it's crying out, it's crying out. This is how we live our purgatory. Crying out, not like you're saying, take that gaze off yourself. It's going inward. It's starting to spiral. It's starting to spin. Mm -hmm. Take it outward. Look at the cross. Mm -hmm. Ask for help. That was my big practical thing going through this. Lord, do something good. Have your way. Do something good with this. The other thing that I struggled with <laughs> is realizing that God was trying to use this to change part of, of, of who I was, a part of the way I was relating to things that was not healthy or, or positive. And he was trying to chip away at that a little bit and refine that. But I resisted it because my biggest fear was I'm not going to get my needs met. So I'm not, I'm not going to give into that because I'm not going to get my needs met. And it, he had to literally take me down to the, to the studs and build it back in and be like, no, see, that's my job. Mm -hmm. You're relying on yourself too much. You're relying on other people too much, on your circumstances too much. Mm -hmm. Well, and I will say, you said, you said you didn't know why it was something that was such a dark place for you yeah. because comparably there's yeah. other people that doesn't matter yeah definitely. like i will say that it doesn't matter you, comparing yourself there are there's always somebody who's in a worse place yes. than you are it doesn't change what you've gone through no and it's and that's the thing god works in such a personal way with each one of us like he loves all of us right but he loves us you specifically right He's able to do that. He's able to love every single person and love you very specifically and intimately. And so what you were going through was a very personal thing yeah. for you. And it had to happen. Like that had to happen to you for yeah. him to work the way he needed to work. Yeah. And There's no doubt that it was one of those changing circumstances where you walk away like with a limp. You know, when Jacob wrestles with God, he doesn't ever walk straight again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be the same. And I don't deny the power of it and I don't minimize it, but I can't figure out why it hurt so bad even to this day. But I know that it did and I know what God did in it mm -hmm. and what he will continue to do in it. And I'm also, the other thing that has happened is that I'm not afraid anymore of to suffer. Like, does that make sense? Because I, I just did it the hardest way I knew how and I survived it. <laughs> and so now I'm like, all right. <laughs> When you're talking about this carving away and how he fills it automatically i thought and i think i may have talked about this on another part i talk about this all the time it's a japanese art form called kintsugi mm. where the pottery is it's broken or cracked or a piece comes out and instead of throwing it out they fill it in with gold and so the cracks of this pottery they have you know they get repaired with this gold and i just thought of like God coming into those cracks and filling them and eventually like sometimes some pieces become almost all gold because of the way that it, this forms. Mm, that's and, beautiful imagery. And, and I wonder if that's what our souls look like and if in heaven when we when we greet each other however that works in that place that's what we'll see. All the, the gold all the ways that God moved into that space and occupied it mm -hmm. when we begged him to and changed us forever. And I wonder if that's what it means to shine like stars, you know, yeah. in the universe, because this is what he's done. It's our souls are, are not visible to the eye now. The way they, not that there will be eyes in heaven, but these very mystical concepts yeah. that aren't, you know, exact. But I think if we could see that, like see people's souls now, the way they looked, we'd be a lot nicer to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you're going through some stuff. You've been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But even if we can't see it, it is happening and it will happen and suffering is going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the human equalizer. Yeah. yeah. The choices we have to make is to accept that we can't do it on our own and let God in. Also, how we react to the suffering. Like, yeah. I think, talked a little bit lately about sitting in our sadness or accepting it. Yeah. And, you know, carrying those crosses and, you know, the best that we can. And having community to help us carry those crosses is important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
in the last podcast, I t- t- talked to Alicia about like me talking with my kids about how I can't take their crosses away from them, but I'll do what I can to help them mm-hmm. with them. But we can't take each other's things away because that's how God needed to work in you. That's how God needed to work in you. And mm-hmm. God works in each of us. And mm-hmm. Well, and that makes me think about how you said, Lauren, that, um, that when God works in our lives and he chips away at the heart and he fills himself in, he stays differently. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, and I think it was brought to mind to me how I felt in the past is like, well, why couldn't you have just done that already? I'm going through this incredibly difficult time and it feels like you're so distant from me. Mm-hmm. And why can't you just do it now? Because it, like, even in those times where I'm saying, I give this to you. I want this difficulty gone. Like I want this defect in me gone. I want whatever gone. The thing that I know that you don't want me dealing with. I know that you don't want this in me because this is disordered. But you're not taking it away. And I right. don't understand. Like you love me, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, it does take a persistence, you know, like, you know, we're supposed to to run that race, you know. And so there is a, a perseverance and faith that we have to have. And it's something that I have learned that it's it's not based in feeling, you know, like God oftentimes, like at least in me, he has worked with me first in giving me many consolations. And then I went through a period of like some really dry periods of desolation and then beautiful consolations. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And recently, and and talking about this is kind of interesting because um, for a while now, I've just been feeling like, and I think it's before even the miscarriage, I've been feeling like I want to grow deeper with God and I'm trying to strengthen my prayer life and I kind of go back, fall back and forth a little bit in that, but I'm getting better with it. And I'm, you know, trying to do all these things, but I feel, still feel like God is distant from me. Like it's not the deepest desolation I've ever been through by any means, but I still feel that distance. I'm like, God, why? Like, why, why aren't, why do I feel so removed from you? And within the last couple of days, I, uh, I can't remember why exactly I thought about this and, and said this prayer, but I realized that God isn't removed from me. Like, I might be in my sin, but I've kind of broken that relationship a little bit, but God's still there. He still wants me. And ever since I realized that, and I was like, God, you know, I, I don't need to reach for you. Like, mm-hmm. in that, like, struggling to get to you because you have removed yourself. Like, you are, you are there already, and I trust you in that. And since then, I haven't felt deep, deep consolations and beautiful things mm-hmm. or whatever like have in the past, which I love those things. They're beautiful. But it's been, I feel a connection again, and it's more, there's no words for it. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's a beautiful thing. Well, I think sometimes, too, that we just don't see. Like, God's there, and he's giving us those lifelines, but where we don't see them, we don't ex- as what they are. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, he's always there. I think he's always giving us those things. But we, for whatever reason, we might not see them until years down the line or a couple days down the line or whatever. Uh, it doesn't mean that they aren't necessarily being given. Or and Sometimes I think we also think that we're like we're in this period of waiting. And God's actually doing things for mm-hmm. us. We just don't. We haven't noticed mm-hmm. it yet. It hasn't. You know, there's a couple of us, myself, needs to have a slap in the face every once in a while. And so, which is probably why I get lots of slaps in the face. <laughs> but it's just, you know, I I think it's interesting how you're talking about that. And it's kind of like, I wonder if we, how much we just don't notice. Well, and God will mature our love. Yeah. Like in the beginning, mm-hmm. there's lots of consolations and there's lots of... Just like butterflies when you fall in love with somebody, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna see. <laughs> but uh, you, you, you know, it goes deeper, and you get married, and eh, they're not quite there as much. You have to make they that choice back. every day. Yeah, you make the choice, Choices, but, and, yeah. and it's there, but it's not as just overwhelming. But it's it's a it's a connection. It's a walking through life together. I think God yes. matures our love in that way. Mm-hmm. There's and then there's the times of roughness in a marriage where you are actively choosing against your feelings to love mm-hmm. your spouse because you're mad at them or you're angry with them or you don't feel close to them. Mm-hmm. That's how our relationship with God is too. 
And how often with our spouses do we drop hints or clues or, or try to make them feel better and they don't, we don't see it or they don't see it. And right. it's right there in front of them. Like we've done something special for them and we think that they don't care. And it's not that they don't care. Or they just didn't see. Mm-hmm. Or you bring your whole soul to your spouse only for them to respond in a way that is not only not how you want it, but or not respond at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> That's the part yeah. that I'm like, so God, this is how you feel. Remember that we are the metaphor. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all of human yeah. relationships are fleshing out this, you know, mm-hmm. so it's. Well, say, and say, you remind me to think about like my husband. He's like a bush man, man, <laughs> and like a mountain man with his big old beard. And a couple weeks ago, he like trimmed it down and like shaved it and like contoured it and stuff. I didn't notice at all. Like, I, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I noticed there was something different, but I didn't say anything at all. And he went to work and they're like, yeah, did your wife like it? He's like, ah, she didn't notice. <laughs> and he came home and told me that. I was like, I did. I just didn't say anything because I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but no, like it, when, we're, when we're talking about this whole, like, it's not faith is something that as you dive deeper into it. It's not based so much in feeling. And the feelings, again, they're beautiful and they're wonderful. And they come when and you go. get them, they come yeah. and go. But I think another vert, like part of living out your purgatory on earth is like dealing with the doubt as well. Oh, of man. Because I, I remember, and this is yeah. one of, one of, if not the hardest decision, actually, I would say it, the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. I went through this period of just being so afraid of dying. I don't know why I was just terrified of dying and I started doubting like, well, and asking these questions. Well, what if I'm wrong? What if God doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to me? I'm believing all of this stuff. What's going to happen to me? What's the consequences of that? And I just sat in those questions for a while, those few days, maybe a week or two or something. And then I realized like, I'm not answering those questions. Like I'm just sitting. And I think that's a lot of what we do mm-hmm. is that we ask questions. We begin to doubt our faith, doubt God, doubt the church, doubt our religion. And then we just fall away without actually answering them because it gives us a feeling of an uncertainty, this doubt. And then we just go. Mm-hmm. And then you've just, you've entered out of your, you know, out of that relationship with God. And, and you've lost all of that when there was really no point in doing so it was unnecessary because you never looked for the answer Mm -hmm. and so during this time I had sat in that for such a long time and felt oh my gosh so deeply that because and through that fear like that fear was the found kind of the driving force for this that doubt um I was really I had these very 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 strong feelings that I just needed to walk away that every single thing in me everything in me was telling me to walk away to no longer believe because there was no reason to believe. And I've had very strong reasons to believe. God has shown him himself to me in many ways that I he, he is there, but I everything in me. And so I remember sitting one day and I was like, okay, so I can't live in limbo anymore. So even though everything in me is telling me, screaming at me to say that you're not real, and go about my life, I choose to believe in you. And it was the hardest decision I had ever made in my life because everything literally in me was telling me walk away. And I said that, and I sat down on the couch and I was like, okay, God, walk me through this, answer these questions for me. And he went through with me and it was just like I was having a conversation with me. He was answering these questions for me. And he was saying, well, you know, if I'm not real, then and there's nothing in the afterlife, then just poof, you disappear and it doesn't matter. If I am real, but I am this apathetic, uncaring God, well, it doesn't matter what you do on earth. It doesn't matter your relationship with me. Because once you die, I do whatever I please with you and just throw you away. So it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. But if I am the God that has been revealed to you, that you've come to know that I have shown you that I am and you, I love you the way that you know that I love you, then it does matter. Mm-hmm. Your belief in me does matter. And, and when you die, that's, you know, you, you could be with me in heaven for eternity in love. And that was it for me. I was like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, even if I still doubted, even if I was like, oh, well, I don't know, like, what are, what am I going to lose? 
what am I going to stand to lose? Like, even if somebody is going through this type of doubt and that maybe for them, they haven't, you know, reached a conclusion like that, what are you going to lose? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, by, by believing, but what are you going to lose if you choose to stop? You know, you're going to lose eternity. And so for me, that was something that was God af- after that, God kickstarted this new faith in me that has been like, and I still have experienced those doubts where like that feeling comes in that I'm like, I think I'm wrong about this. Like I, I'm, God isn't real. Like that, those doubts pop into my head, but I'm like, oh, shush. Like, (laughs) and sometimes it's a little harder than just saying shush, but God has shown me over and over and over and over and over again that he's there. And it's about having a conversation and talking to him and allowing him to, to work his way into you the way that he wills to. I think doubt is a necessary part of a believer's life. I think that it's very rare to find someone who doesn't ever have those doubts. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it's probably necessary to our growth as children of God. You know, it's, these are these moments like what you went through is like the, that Abraham and Isaac moment when Abraham is walking mm-hmm. with a knife in his you know pack to sacrifice his son, and everything in him is saying, "This is nuts." How could he ask me to do this when he's revealed himself to me a different way? Now he's asking me to kill the very thing he gave me to promote, to, to, be, to be his promise on the earth. This whole time, Abraham's having this interior dialogue, and you know he is. And his son's, you know, noticing that dad is really deep in thought, you know. And he looks around, and he, he knows they're going to sacrifice a lamb, like they always do. They go to make a sacrifice on the mountain. They do this together. It's a thing. And he looks around and he's like, where's the lamb? And this whole time, Abraham's like, I cannot <laughs> believe this. That every single step of that journey, like what you went through, where it took everything inside of you to put one foot in front of the other and make that yes. Every single step of that journey changed the landscape of Abraham's soul. Because you know what he told his son? He said, God himself will provide the lamb. That says two things about Abraham. One, he trusts the character of God when he can't see his hand. He trusts that God will provide. He trusts that God is not going to ask him to sacrifice his son. But if he does, he's ready to do it. Mm-hmm. This could be the topic of a thousand sermons. Mm-hmm. But that's what exactly what you did in that moment. You said, look, I know who this God is. He's proved himself to me. I'm going to keep on stepping on and walking in this. I've got no other choice. You know, when when Jesus asked the disciples, are you going to leave me too? And they said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Like, we're not going anywhere. They too had their doubts. Everybody does at some point. A lot of the saints, maybe all of them went through those same critical doubt periods where you thought for a second that you might walk away from your faith. There's that point where you're like, "This, I don't even know if I can justify this. But instead of, like you said, abandoning it in the questions, you sat with it and you talked to him about it. And I think that's part of every believer's life. I I mean, I think these moments, these Abraham and Isaac moments, I can trace them in my life. I can trace every single one when they happened and they were the beginning of something deeper in my relationship with God. It was sort of like a when you make those markers along the way, the, uh, an, an altar, sort of. It's like the yeah, Israelites the made Israelites along the way when God revealed himself in a different way. The pillars. Yeah. 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 Well, I will say with, with Abraham, too, um, from what and I can't remember how the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifices worded, but when Abraham and Isaac went up the hill for the sacrifice, he told his servants that they would both be back. Hmm. So I'm sure as he's walking, you know, like it's, I think it's very easy to assume that he is having those doubts in his head, but he, he kept, he's coming back to that faith. Yes. He was coming back to mm-hmm. it and allowing God saying, God, you're, you're going to answer these questions for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to trust mm-hmm. you. Like I have all these doubts and I'm saying, no, this is insane, but I'm trusting you. Right. Yeah. He kept walking one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And as we are working on this living out our purgatory here on earth that's exactly what we need to do to have that humility except that we're going to have doubt but trust in god's plan so you know we might have those moments but return back to him really i guess that's the whole point of this living out our purgatory here 
is that we turn our gaze back to God, even in our suffering. Blessed Carlo Atticus has a quote um, that is, sadness is looking at oneself and happiness is looking at God. Conversion is nothing but a movement of the eyes. And I think that's what we've been getting at through this whole episode is that when we're suffering, we turn our gaze to God. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you. Talking Catholics is a proud partner of the Smart Catholics Podcast Network. Find new shows to love, meet like-minded Catholics, and join the community at smartcatholics.com.